Joshua Perry show here on Monday, February 11th, 2019. I am Dave Biddle, and of course the show is starring former Ohio State captain, linebacker, national champion, former NFL player Joshua Perry. Mr. Perry, uh, how was your weekend, my friend? Oh, it was very good. Um, and this Monday is always fantastic because I get a wonderful introduction. Uh, makes me not feel so washed up uh, listening to you introduce me on Mondays here. Yeah, you're anything but washed up, uh, that's for sure. Uh, let's get right into it. This was your idea, and I think this is a great one, because every fan wants to know about off-season workouts. They know the guys are in there busting their ass right now, but they don't know exactly what's going on. They know Coach Mick is one of the best. They don't maybe know exactly why. Just, you know, we're going to get into the, some, you know, nuts and bolts. But just, you know, from a broad perspective, just kind of explain what happens after the bowl game when, when Coach Mick gets uh, his mitts on these guys. Yeah, so typically – um, you have that bowl season, they have bowl practice, so it's 15 practices. That's a developmental period. So for young guys, actually, that really starts their off-season program because they have an opportunity to be in the weight room getting some extra training, especially if they know those guys aren't playing in the bowl game. The bowl game happens, guys come back home, and typically there is a break between the last, I guess, the bowl game and then when school starts. So the guys are off during that time period. They're able to go home if they have a long enough chance um, they're able to kind of handle what they need to leading up to the semester. So school's back in. Usually there's a little bit of a period of, um, you know, come in, we've got six, seven, eight, one, two, three, or six, seven, eight, I guess, workout times um, where guys can come in, kind of get their workout and leave. Then they'll have a team meeting and they'll set the expectation for the offseason. So really the first couple of weeks back into school, there's kind of a, a period where the guys are able to refresh, get their minds right, kind of get back in the groove of things before they hit it really hard. Um, interestingly enough there, once they hit it hard, they are back into it. And Coach Mick does not like to skip a beat with these guys. So they go. Um, usually now the way that they do it, they work out in the morning and they have class in the afternoon. So Coach Mick basically has from 6 a.m. <laughs> up until – uh, noon or 1 o'clock to get these guys right because after that they're in class. Uh, so it's really interesting how they decide to structure it. We've done it times before when I was at Ohio State where we had morning class and we would have afternoon workouts. So there would be a 6 a.m. group and an 8 a.m. group, and then you wouldn't come back to work out until like 4 in the afternoon or whatever the case was. But now they choose to work out in the morning and then send the guys off to class afterward. That's very interesting. And, you know, just talk about the stages that are involved. We'll get into some of the, you know, Valentine's Day massacre and some of the other stuff that, uh, you know, fans want to know about. But just talk about some of the stages that are involved with uh, the uh, winter workouts. Yep. So kind of prefaced it a little bit earlier, but the initial stage is just getting guys back into the groove of things. So these workouts aren't run intensive. They're not super heavy weight. Um, it's not a, a, a really big labor, but it's just getting guys back in in shape, essentially, just getting you back into motion, letting you recover a little bit from the season, you know, letting you get off whatever's in your system from that time off, um, working that out. Then after that, it's kind of just a, a hit it hard session. So you jump right into it, and it builds up progressively week over week, but you get into basically the hard part of the off offseason. Um, and it's interesting because the winter 
offseason is not about necessarily all the speed work and all the explosion. It's literally about getting strong and getting swole. We run enough in the offseason that you can just pound the weights and you can get big and you're not going to lose a step. So this is where we start to put the heavy weight on guys. This is where we challenge guys to become strong. We challenge them to become mentally tough. And then as you get to the end of the offseason in the winter, we go through a little bit of a taper to where we're able to track our results. We do all of our 225 tests so we can see how much we've improved from the beginning of the offseason to the end. We do our squat uh, three rep maxes so we can see how we've improved there. Uh, we get on the field and we do some of our run testing just to see where we've improved there. But the workload definitely tapers off so guys can refresh themselves. They can get their bodies right. They can get their legs right heading into spring so they're able to be explosive during spring practices. This is a perfect time to ask you about the Valentine's Day Massacre workout that we all hear about. Um, tell us as much as you can about the Valentine's Day Massacre workout. Does it get tweaked each year? And just what, if, what do you think fans need to know about it? Yeah, it does get tweaked each year, so that's the interesting thing. I think the Valentine's Day workout is, is basically the first checkpoint in the winter off season, you know, guys have been working out. They've been grinding hard. This is a really big challenge, and so um, that workout is it's terrible. The way that we've done it in the past, we've done it where it's all lower body. Um, so you'll have squat, you'll have lunges, you'll have deadlift, and you'll have like uh, some of your ancillary, um, your hamstring, your lower back, and then you'll have leg press, and you basically rotate from station to station. And then at the end, you've got what we call finishers. So generally, at the end of a, a typical workout, there's a finisher, whether it's push-ups, sit-ups, whatever the case is, whether it's curls, they're like you're just blowing yourself out, and then the workout's over. This workout, there are four stations of finishers. Typically how we've done it, we've had a rope station. We've had um, basically punching bags where you pick them up, you slam them, you punch them, you put gloves on literally for that. We've had a station where it's basically cardio, so you have boxes and you're doing plyometrics on the boxes and then a station upstairs where either you're on the treadmill or you're on this Kaiser machine that mimics running. Um, it's pressurized. It's a pretty cool machine, but um, this is the hardest workout. There have been other years where we've tweaked it where we've had a full-body workout. So we'd do upper body, we'd have bench press, we'd have curls, we'd do lower body where we'd have squat, we'd have lunge, and we'd have leg press. And whatever the, the workout is, it's terrible. Um, years we've incorporated going out onto the field and doing sled pulls where you literally have somebody sitting in your sled and you're pulling them. Um, we've done years where we've had, you know, four or 500 apps at the end of the workout. Um, so it, it, it's meant to test you and push you to your, your breaking point mentally. The physical aspect of it is always going to be hard, but this one, coaches are in there. They're yelling at guys. It's literally hot. Like, it's everything that makes a workout tough. You've got older guys in your face yelling at you. You've got coaches yelling at you. They're, they're testing you. And I think it's one of the things that makes Ohio State unique in terms of how they approach the offseason because other schools don't do things. They do things like it, but they don't do it how we do it. And so I think this is kind of the leg up in the offseason program. We also hear the guys talk a lot about mat drills. And um, even Coach Halfley, Jeff Halfley came in when we got a chance to meet with him last Wednesday. was like, because they did mat drills earlier that morning, and, and Jeff Halfley was like, my gosh, I've never seen anything like this. And this is a coach who spent the last seven years in the NFL and even had spent some time at uh, Power 5 programs before that, like Pitt. So he's been around, uh, even though he's a, a relatively young coach at the age of 39. And he's like, I've never seen anything like this. Uh, explain what mat drills are, if you would, Mr. Perry. 
Yeah, mat drills um, are literally what it sounds like. You go out on the indoor field, they're wrestling mats out on the floor, and you do drills on them. Simple. Um, usually they start off in the team meeting room. Coach gives a little hype-up speech, and then they run out into the practice field. On the practice field, literally, you're running laps around the field for 15 minutes. Um, that's how you start it. And then we do an old-school calisthenic stretch, you know, touch your toes, you know, right arm over left, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then we separate into groups. We've done it in the past where we kind of elected groups at the beginning of the off season, and we ran there. We've done it before where we just did in position groups. Um, I don't know how they're doing it this off season, but you break up, and basically you've got combative drills, which is winner loser competitive, and you've got movement drills, which is literally working on your movement skill. There are three stations of each. Uh, the combative drills in the past have been again with the punching bags or the dummies, where one guy has it on one end and the other has it on another end, and you roll opposite directions and see who's going to win that. It's like you know, a way to to engage your lower body and your core, and it's competitive. We've done tug-of-war with towels, basically, uh, tug-of-war with uh, tires as well. So that's always been a tough drill. Um, and that is literally to make it tough. You're taking a ton of reps. Again, it's hot in there. They turn off the on AC. It's loud. Uh, guys are in your face, and you want to compete. The movement drills uh, have been in the past um, – basically like a uh, – I'm trying to say it's like what you would think of in basic training for Army boot camp, essentially. You, you, they give you commands. It's a set, ready, ready, and then hit. The next group just goes on ready, ready, and hit. So I'll get into that a little bit later. But once you get onto the mat, you dive out, you get on your feet, you have them chopping. Your coach will have you do a seat roll. Uh, they'll have you do a four-point crab, so you're going right, left, front, back. Um, they'll have you do – uh, the four-point seat roll and the two-point seat roll. So one, you're up on your feet the whole time. The other one, you're on all fours. And then the last one, you're doing a crab, so you're not rolling. You're just moving side to side on all fours. Um, the command set, ready, ready, and hit are for guys to get ready. So on set, you snap down into an athletic stance. Ready, ready, you chop your feet. And then hit is when you're out. Um, the next group steps up to the mat, and they're standing in an athletic stance. So it's almost like doing a wall sit. Um, but you, there's no wall to support you until the other group is done. If the guys in the next group don't snap down when they're supposed to, everybody has to start over again. If the person in front of you didn't finish their drill hard, everybody has to start over again. And so that's where it gets interesting because typically your older guys are at the front of the line. And the older guys aren't the ones making mistakes in these drills. It's the younger guys. And so it's really a challenge for the older guys to make sure that the younger guys can overcome mentally the pain that they feel in their legs and just truly being selfish. Because if everybody hurts, everybody's doing the same thing. And so if I've got to go three or four extra reps at a station because the young guys behind me are hurting and they're feeling sorry for themselves, well, I'm hurting too. So I'm going to do everything to make sure that they're doing the drills right. So, um, again, it's another one of those things where I can sit here and explain it to you. Um, and it might not sound that tough or, you know, it's hard to conceptualize, but this is another drill that we do that separates us and I know other schools do it but it's just super combative it's super competitive it's one of those things where everybody's got to get their foxhole mentality and you got to have your guys back because it gets really tough um, something that I enjoyed in my last two years more so than my first couple of years in the program <laughs> yeah when you start uh, being the one beating people up yeah that's gotta yes, that's gotta feel good exactly. you're the one barking it 
you're the one barking at people instead of having the older guys barking at you. Uh, yeah, that's got to be a good yes. feeling. Um, <laughs> and, you know, let's get into some of the payoffs. I know you guys do the before and after pictures. You know, you're one of the, uh, you know, poster children for that. I remember when, you know, fans talk about that. When guys come in, they do the before picture, and then within, like, six weeks already you can see your body changing. But, you know, let's talk about that a little bit. And also, one of the cool things you guys do is obviously the Harley Davidson Day, where you guys get to, you know, get the get the motorcycles out. You know, you take the shirts off, and you know, flex in front of the uh, show the guns off in front of the uh, motorcycles. Get into into some of the payoff stuff that you guys get to do. Yeah, so it's really cool. Um, all that hard work, and you actually get to see it materialize. So everything that. Ohio State does in terms of strength and conditioning is measurable. So at the beginning of the offseason, you take pictures, you take measurements, um, you measure your vertical jump, your 10-yard dash, your three-cone, all those things, and you have your benchmark. And then at the end of the offseason, you're able to see where you've come. And a lot of that basically comes down to the way that you train because you're sitting there, um, you've got Monday workout, which is weight room, and then a team run. Um, team runs consist of uh, basically – like three-cone, L-drill, um, those type of drills. It's a lot of short burst running. It mimics football very closely. Uh, Tuesday is just a lift and then a heavy finisher. Usually it's been sled pulls. It'll be prowler pushes, those kind of things. Wednesday is mat drill. Thursday, again, is a lift and a run. And then Friday is kind of that big workout. Um, and two of them are Valentine's. The other one's Harley. And Harley really mimics um, Valentine's workout a lot, I think, in a lot of years, it has been easier than Valentine's because it's the end of the off season, and uh, you're trying to keep guys as fresh as possible going into the spring, but it's still a challenge because um, they'll load you up with volume, they'll load you up with weight, and it's still the similar condition of guys yelling at you and putting the pressure on you. Um, but that's the one where everybody, like you said, everybody's got their shirts off, you're taking pictures in front of the motorcycle, and then after that, you'll even go and take pictures to do your before and after, so it's really cool how you culminate the off-season with a tough workout, everybody having everybody's back. You get the, the motorcycles in there, you take the picks, and then you go and get to see how your body changes because, you know, over the weekend or on Monday, the coach calls you in, sends you a text, and you get to see the side-by-side -side of how much your body's developed, which is really awesome. And I want to, you to know, talk about the 1,000 rep club, the 1,000 rep club, and just anything else you want to touch on about off-season workouts before we move on to other topics. Like I want to ask you about the Alliance of American Football. We'll get to that later. But just the 1,000 rep club, what that means, and anything else you want to touch on, Joshua, about the off-season workouts. Yeah, so I kind of hit on it before, but to me the off-season workout is, is mostly um, a mental exercise. And physically your body's going to change, and you can handle a lot physically, but being able to grind through that schedule of basically two workouts on Mondays, two workouts on Thursdays, a tough one on Friday, mat drills on Wednesdays, and then going into your weekend a lot of times where if you're a young guy whose body's underdeveloped or if you're a guy who needs to lose weight or whatever the case is, you're going to be in there on a Saturday, six days a week of hard work. And so mentally wrapping your mind around doing that amount of hard work and then having to go out to class and perform in an academic setting is, I think, one of the, the biggest takeaways from the offseason. Um, basically, it comes down to competition. We talked about that, and I think Coach Meyer did a great job of iterating that while he was head coach, and Coach Day is a guy who takes after that mold of making those competitive situations. And so um, just about every drill that's done on the field has a winner and a loser, and I think it's really important because at the end of the day, you play games on the field, and there is a winner and a loser. The 1,000 rep club, I'll hit on that. So guys who played a ton of reps during the season get to be 
thousand rep club guys. So that means on the Valentine's workout, if everybody's got five sets of leg press, those guys might only have three sets of leg press. Or when it comes down to doing the finisher, the guys might have a shorter time that they're working um, for their time intervals on the on the uh, on the finisher, whatever the case is. Thousand rep club basically takes wear and tear off a guy's body because they had a long season. They still need to recover throughout the off season from what their body went through and maintain the freshness going into the new season, the spring and everything. So that was a cool idea. Um, I think Coach Mick really started doing that like my sophomore year. Um, that was something that I got to be a part of and I enjoyed definitely because, you know, the off season, like I said, gets to be a drag. But guys respond to that because, Number one, it shows the appreciation from the program of the work they put in during the season. But number two, you do get a legitimate chance to recover. And then at the end of the offseason, there's always expectations. So the expectations coming into spring, number one, is finding out who your leaders truly are. Because the summer offseason, as much as you develop leadership, it's a ton of running. You're not doing as heavy of weight. And so mentally it's hard, but it, it, it's not as hard because, you know, weights, they resist you. They don't fight back, but they do resist you. Running is just like, can you finish it? And so you're not finding out who your true foxhole guys are running sprints during the summer. You do that in the winter. And then for the young guys as well, it develops your body. So now you're in a better place to play a physical game coming out of that offseason because your body is now stronger, you're more flexible, or whatever the case is. Um, those expectations are strong. There's something that, you know, the, the season is dependent upon the games that you make in the winter. Um, so the offseason program is something that is formulated – with so much intention, and it's it's a serious thing around Ohio State, and I think you get the right mix of guys in there that truly gravitate toward this kind of work, and that's why Ohio State's been very successful since Mickey Marotti's been here. Just tremendous insights on the off-season workout program there. Um, all right, let's switch gears and uh, talk about the Alliance of American Football uh, kicked off this past weekend, and ratings were pretty good. It was the first week, though. You know, it outdid the, the NBA primetime game Saturday night. And uh, my question for you, Joshua, do you think this league can make it, not just this year, but can it make it long-term? That's an interesting question you ask. I think um, there's a chance, but um, with you need to find a way to keep the game entertaining. Like, I think some of the things that people were excited about, like that hit that everybody saw that went viral, the quarterback's helmet flew off. I don't know if you can sustain the league doing that because I played with that guy, actually, the quarterback out in San Diego. That man legitimately wants to be in the league, and he's not going to play football if he's taking those kinds of hits. The flip side of that is he's never going to make it through a league with that lack of pocket awareness, but there has to be some sort of common ground where you want to be entertaining, but you can't have your quarterbacks out there getting hit because they're just not going to play. They'd rather be at home not taking that wear and tear on their body than out there getting smacked like that, number one. Then number two, um, you know, if, if, if the game is going to be predicated off the of gimmicks, I think it's not going to last. I think you need to have a game that's solid. People like the tempo, which I do appreciate. Um, people like the transparency of being able to see what the reviews look like, which I do appreciate, but you need to have some solid foundation there and then find a way to keep decent players playing because obviously the goal for a lot of those players is to get to the NFL or back into the NFL. Um, and if you can't keep solid enough players that the quality of the game is good, then it's going to suffer. Hey, it's going to be interesting. you got a lot of your former teammates out there playing too, Jalen Marshall, Duran Grant, a bunch of them 
bunch of guys yes. you played with are out there. It's interesting. Um, yes. I hope it makes it. I was a, a USFL fan way back in the day. Speaking of guys you played with, Evan Spencer, I was his father, Tim Spencer. I was a, a Chicago Blitz fan just because Tim Spencer was the running back for the Chicago Blitz. Yeah, I'm showing my age. That's all right. Sure. Um, uh, <laughs> One more thing I want to get to, a couple more things, but one thing I've been dying to ask you. So Greg Madison, we got a chance to meet with him um, last Wednesday, and I guess this isn't a big surprise because Michigan, this is what they did. School up north, sorry, sorry, number 37. Uh, school yeah, up north, um, yeah, I know, I'll, I'll get on it. Um, <laughs> they, they used you know, the, the two middle linebackers and the one walkout, they call it the Viper, a lot. Now, I could argue that maybe it wasn't necessarily always two inside linebackers. Like this past year, number 36 looked more like an outside linebacker to me. But anyway, when he says that he wants to use two inside linebackers and one outside linebacker, is, is that as big of a of, uh, change as it sounds like? Just, you know, break it down for us. When, when you hear Greg Madison say that, what does that mean? Yeah, so I think a lot of times what it comes down to is uh, the coverage shells that you play behind it. So certain coverages are tougher to play when you have your linebacker walked up than others. Like when I was in Indy, we used to have our linebacker walked up, and so we played a lot of three deep. And those coverages are a lot easier because that guy's generally covering the flatter. He's even dropping to a hook, but it's straight behind him. Um, if you want to play quarters coverage or even man-to-man, that's where it gets a little bit tough because you're asking a guy um, who's on the line of scrimmage to maybe have to cover um, some, some areas that aren't favorable for that angle. Uh, a lot of times what you said, you know, 36 look more like an outside linebacker than an inside linebacker. A lot of those defenses have um, some safety body types that end up playing in the box where they got to walk a safety down or even in their first and second down um, coverages, they have a safety body type in there because they, if they're playing against a team who's going to know how to attack whatever shell they're playing behind it. Um, so, no, I don't know if it's that big of a difference. It'll just be interesting to see the type of coverage that they want to play behind it, number one, and then what body types they end up putting there, too. Because, uh, you know, Ohio State's got a couple of guys, and one that sticks out in my mind is Baron Browning, who I think would be an interesting body type there because he's used to playing toward the line of scrimmage, but he's a guy who's athletic enough to be able to cover. Um, I'm excited about it, though, because I think this change is going to be unique. I think we have the personnel that can fit a bunch of different schemes. We got guys who can play aggressive and beat downhill. We got guys in the back end who can who can kind of put their balls out there and play man to man. So whatever it is, I'm I'm sure it'll be aggressive, and I'm sure it'll be something that uh, Buckeye fans will be happy about come this fall. Yeah, I was just about to ask you who who this might be good for, and you answer with Baron Browning. Um, let's delve a little deeper on that. Like who? Who might it be not so good for? And, and you know, and you touched on this on, on the debut of the show last week. Some of the young linebackers that you like, like Taraja Mitchell and Dallas Gant and Kayvon Pope, and some of those guys. Just you know, talk about some of those uh, young linebackers and maybe who this new scheme might not be good news for. Yeah, so it's it's kind of hard to tell right now. I think uh, the natural answer there, who it's good for, would be a guy like Baron Lee, used to playing on the line of scrimmage. I think that um, for his NFL career's sake that Malik Harrison would be a guy who would be suited for that type of position, just his body composition, but also the the fact that he can play in space and he can run. Um, It would be good to see him there. And then you mentioned a guy like Dallas Gantt, and depending on what his body looks like and how he fills out, he could be a guy who does it as well because of his athletic ability. Um, I'm not exactly sure how this plays out in the other way, like if it's bad for any players because um, typically – coaches have a mold of what they want their viper to look like and if you don't look like that then you look like an inside backer and so you'll have an automatic chance at playing there 
Um, that is the one thing, though, that is tough. Like when I was at Ohio State, thankfully, um, we only had the one change of coordinator with Everett Withers, and then um, Chris Ash came in. I enjoyed playing for him. And I think that defense was great because we were able to be aggressive. But when I was in the league, um, my rookie year, I played for one defensive coordinator, and then um, with the Chargers, they hired a new staff. I didn't fit in that scheme. I ended up going to Indy, um, fit in that scheme pretty well. Their staff got fired. They brought in a new staff. I didn't make it out of that on OTAs there because I didn't fit the scheme. And I went to Seattle, and that was somewhere where I could have played if it wasn't for my retirement. So scheme changes are very tough on players. Colleges like to accommodate because they, you know, you can't move around freely well, with this new portal, who knows. But they have to be able to fit the guys <laughs> that they have in the room. But Exactly. Uh, but when I was in the league, that was one thing that I saw in terms of my personal career, but also for other guys, that um, if you don't fit the scheme, it's going to be hard to kind of make your way on that roster. 